You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. Welcome to B2B Nation and welcome to 2021. It's finally here. We're coming off a year. Maybe we should just leave it at that. We're coming off a year. And when we started to plan for our 2021 episodes, we noticed how many people were giving advice about people, about talking to them, managing them, helping them. I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. If you manage people, whether you're a CMO or a newly minted manager, you faced challenges in 2020 that literally no one had faced before. And whether that was dealing with people personally impacted by the pandemic or trying to manage a team dispersed all over the place. In this episode, we talked to James Shearer about managing people. James wears a number of different hats in the business world. He's an executive with Marathon Petroleum's retail operations, which many of you know is the Speedway brand. He's also involved in a couple of entrepreneurial ventures, Salesology, which helps businesses align their sales and marketing efforts, and Eventology, which applies a project management framework to event planning and production. He's studying for his PhD in business. And this year, he'll be managing people through some major M&A activity as Marathon sells its retail business to the parent company of 7-Eleven. During my conversation with James, I realized that many of the things marketers are good at and had to be good at in the past year make them well-equipped to manage their people as we move into an unpredictable 2021. For example, you had to be good at content and messaging, clearly explaining what you want to accomplish and communicating that to your people. You have to be good at empathy, not just for your customers, as you likely were in 2020, but for your employees as well. So the good news, dear marketers, if you're trying to figure out how you should manage your people in 21, is that you got this. James Shearer, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute, tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, well, my name is James Shear. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you guys for having me on the B2B Nation. Uh, so I actually have three different uh, prongs of uh, my career. Uh, one is uh, I work in a corporate setting for Marathon Petroleum uh, on the corporate retail side, which is known as Speedway uh, to you in the Tennessee area. Um, I also uh, work um, on a couple of entrepreneurial ventures. One is called Salesology, which is the study of sales. So we work on sales and marketing alignment consulting. And then I also work on eventology, which is the study of events, which is the, um, you know, researching, designing, planning, coordinating, and evaluating of events from a uh, 10,000 foot view. Uh, and then the last thing that I'm currently active in is from an academic standpoint, I am in, uh, seeking my doctorate in business administration uh, from Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. All right. You've got a lot of things going on and a lot of that's going to be relevant to our audience. So we thought we'd kick off 2021 by talking about people, managing people, working with people and all those complex relationships that got a little bit more complex in 2020. So it's the start of the new year. And we still got a lot of challenges ahead of us. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, everyone is still trying to plan for 2021. How do you think about managing people in 2021, given all the unknowns? Um, I think it, it kind of depends on the industry and the firm that you're working for. Uh, for example, in the industry, um, from a retail standpoint, working in the oil and gas retail industry, 
it is very much a, an imitation industry. So you have a lot of uh, slow change to a lot of the protocols, uh, for example, for COVID, uh, for RTAP pay. Um, so I think when you're looking at managing in 2021, you have to realize that um, as long as things aren't changing quickly within the landscape, uh, you should be able to keep up and be able to to manage the people based on kind of what the precedents were that were set in 2020. Um, so therefore, what I'm kind of saying is we had to make some quick decisions being a 24-7 fast-paced business that maybe didn't correlate with the speed of our business. So people are expecting a 24-7 uh, environment that we can't offer because of, of COVID. So I think managing in 2021 is definitely a situation where you're able to draw on what happened in 2020 and make decisions that are a little more you know, ideal for the industry and for the firm. How did, how did you have to adjust your management style in the past year to be more individualized? I think one of the challenges we saw in 2020 when you're dealing with people is that everything that happened affected people differently. Uh, some people, obviously, they were very personal connections to the pandemic. Um, other people, you know, kind of stood back a bit and didn't want to change much of anything. And we always hear when we talk about managing people, meet people where they are. And people have been all over the place with this. So personal experience, how did you have to adjust your management style? Do you become more one-on-one -on -one when everybody's kind of in a different place? Um, so I think going back to my introduction about, you know, the different prongs within my career, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, a lot of the business is one-on-one -on -one from a consulting standpoint. So it's managing the conversations correctly and how you are talking to people, uh, laying the groundwork to achieve business goals, to uh, pick up business. Uh, it's also, uh, you know, you're trying to make sure that you're not uh, straying too far off of conversation. So you're not upsetting somebody because you maybe don't know their background. Uh, when it comes to uh, an academic standpoint, um, everybody was virtual or in person. Uh, if you chose to be virtual, uh, it was easier to manage your time for the academic standpoint because you could, you know, be in school, but you could also be doing, you know, your corporate work, your entrepreneurial work. Um, but then I think the biggest challenge where I've seen being individualized is in the, the corporate work that I do. Um, we have uh, several people who I would consider to be blue collar and several people that I would consider to be white collar. Uh, more of the blue collar is uh, on the front line, the essential worker uh, that you have to manage individually um, within the managers I deal with, the supervisors I deal with, and then they deal with their people. You really have to dig down and, and want to get to know the, the bottom level person and make them feel appreciated and special and make them understand that you're aware of their situation. Um, and then in managing some of the, the more white collar people, you know, managing up the, the chain, um, they are maybe not as uh, in touch with the reality of what's going on at the front line with the essential worker. So I think you have to manage that person in that conversation differently as well. Broadly speaking, when you talk about managing people, what do you think the biggest mistake is that people make when it comes to how they manage and deal with people? I think the biggest mistake is, uh, especially, I can't really speak to like my entrepreneurial or my academic you know, past, but I think from a corporate path, I think the biggest mistake people make is forgetting that at one point in time, they were in that position. 
because of the corporate environment that we're in with our company, everybody, um, you know, moves up from the bottom. So there's a lot of internal promotion. I think that a lot of people that have been in my position get to the corporate setting in Ohio or the corporate setting in Texas and forget that at one time they were in the field working remotely and how difficult that is. So I think the biggest mistake is forgetting, you know, where they came from and what it really takes to manage the people that are in the field. And that's interesting because at your organization, it sounds like there's a lot of internal promotion, but I think the trend more broadly, people don't stay at jobs as long as they used to. And I say that as somebody who stays at jobs <laughs> for, for a long yeah. time. Well, there's um, a lot of people, there's a lot of people in our industry that, um, you know, the people that I supervise who then supervise other, you know, frontline workers. Um, I've got people who've been here 25 years, 15 years, 10 years. Um, you get a lot of people in the support roles in our organization within Marathon uh, and within Speedway that are um, that are coming from the field and working their way into support roles within the operations setting uh, in Ohio or Texas. Um, so we do do a lot of um, in the in the field training first, and then kind of move people around so they can cycle through other other opportunities. And at, at companies where people come and go a little more frequently. The challenge is that it takes time to develop those relationships and you don't always know, you know, where everyone came from. And that's the thing is with the relationships that we have, I mean, I've had, um, I've had five supervisors in the last probably year and a half. Um, so it's definitely a situation where, you know, they float people through new people, take new positions, new people move to corporate, come back out in the field, uh, you know, they either work in marketing or security or safety, or they they work in some capacity with uh, maintenance. And so we get a lot of people who um, who kind of float through. So you have to really adapt quickly your management style and realize you can't manage people the same way because you can't talk to the maintenance people the same way you talk to the operations people. And you can't talk to the marketing people the same way you talk to uh, the food inspection people. So um, it's definitely it's definitely a, a toss up when it comes to sitting down and, and speaking to somebody and realizing where they've come from and how you should be actually speaking to that person. Yeah. A lot, a lot of the marketers who make up the core of our audience will understand. We talked about this for, for the audience. If you uh, listen to our episode about change management with Rob Bogue, which is one of our most cited episodes when people reach out to me, one of the things we talked about was the short tenures that marketing leaders, especially CMOs, tend to have. Just mm -hmm. a few years, they move around often, the company changes direction, the company changes senior executives, constant change. And maybe, you know, maybe it's not every year, but every few years um, mm -hmm. really presents challenges because the management styles isn't consistent. Yeah. And I feel like you know, bring something in from academia, which is something we were talking about, you know, yesterday in one of our reflection papers was um, how competitive advantage is, de is determined by a strategy. And if you talk to like people like Michael Porter, or if you talk to people like Jay Barney, um, they will say that, you know, the, the steps you take within um, either dynamic capabilities or a resource-based firm the steps are not the strategy. It is the steps that get you to the point where you have that strategy that then, you know, takes your company to the next level versus just taking it off the cliff. Um, so I feel like, you know, people come in and, and they have a step in place 
and they take a few different steps and then they've either gone off the cliff or they have achieved what they were, what they were going for. So they move on to another, another position. What's the biggest lesson you've learned about managing people? The lesson that maybe changed how you used to manage people and how you do it now. Was there, did you in your career have some sort of inflection point where you said, you know what, this is the way that I was managing people. Isn't going to work as I climb up. Um, is there, was there one kind of point that comes to mind for you? Um, I think the, the one way that I've managed people in the past that I, I finally realized, cause I'd hear it over and over again from, from my supervisors was, uh, the level that I talked at or the level that I spoke at, uh, was talking over people's heads or I was speaking, uh, to the wrong crowd in the wrong way, not being, um, not being condescending or dis- or defensive or conceited, but using words or using language or using terms that were over their head or, or using principles or strategies that were over somebody's head um, on the same, the same front, you know, using a principle or strategy that's below somebody or, you know, using some terminology that's below somebody. So I think that that was the one thing that I really learned, um, you know, probably, probably 10 years ago after hearing it over and over again was, you know, you got to really step back and realize how you're talking to people uh, because some people just don't um, equate what you're saying to what, what you're trying to, to get done. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's those of us who are in the content creation business, it's know your audience. It's, it's who are you speaking to, right? And, and what do you want them to take away from the conversation? And what do you have to say? How do you put it? Because mm-hmm. you can give the same message to two different groups but depending on their background and, and what it is they do and what their everyday is, you have to present that information differently. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, it's, it is content creation when it comes down to it, like how you're trying to market what you're trying to sell to those people from a management style. I mean, they have to buy into it. Um, you can't just walk in the door and say, these are my three priorities for 2021. You have to get them to buy in by giving you at least some sort of uh, inflection or some sort of uh idea of what they want to focus on in their 2021. So maybe one of the lessons here for marketing leaders who consume our podcast is you have to market yourself and your ideas as much as you have to market the products and services that you're ultimately trying to sell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, um, you know, we talked about uh, in the academic world uh, on a article, an article presentation about, um, you know, green, using you know the, the word green within a product and how advertisement and, and placement um, within or advertisement and promotion within uh, the green world can determine, you know, how much you actually believe that something is green. Is it organic? Is it um, natural? And it was just interesting how the study focused on, you know, a foreign country in the middle East and focused only on women and, you know, what is the opportunity there to not only, you know, advertising and promotion, but what's the placement, how's the pricing look. Um, so to your point, I think you, you were talking about, you know, wanting to, you know, market your, your content, not only the idea, but also, you know, how you, how you describe that idea, how you place it into the field. And internally, right. Because with your yeah. own people, um, if you, you've got to get them to buy in to what you're trying to do. I think we talk about this, it being January and the start of the year, everybody's going to be having their kickoffs coming up, um, for the year ahead. These are our goals. This is what we want to do to accomplish them. This is what we're going to change this year. You got to get buy-in from your own people before you can take it out to the field. 
Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you do have to have buy-in from your own people. And you have to, in our case, you have to have buy-in from the, the managers below you uh, to really inflect that those policies and procedures and those strategies that we're trying to focus on to really, you know, make sure that we're, you know, being ready for the customer, you know, trying to, you know, increase our P&L, you know, make ourselves look better, uh, especially with the acquisition coming up. As much as we talk about returning to normal and, you know, normal, people talk about the new normal. We don't really know what normal is going to be. And some things we think are going to stick with us. We think the remote work is probably going to stick around in some form or another going forward. What do you think we learned about managing people that will stick with us going forward, coming out of 2020 and into 2021? I think it, I think it goes back to what I was talking about with, you know, managing people and managing conversations from an individualized standpoint. I mean, you really have to kind of step back and put your, put yourself in the place of some of your individuals that you're managing, whether they're a direct, direct report or an indirect report, because certain people have had to battle COVID. They have had family members who've had COVID and possibly passed away, or they've had family members that have had the um, effects of COVID uh, in another form. I think you really have to step back and just put yourself in their place and understand when, you know, they need to take time for family or they need to take time for friends that it's important to, to have that empathy and and that understanding. So I guess the one thing I think that will stick with us is to have more empathy and more understanding uh, and realize that, you know, the bottom dollar is not always the most important thing in business. Uh, So you you mentioned in your last answer, you mentioned the acquisition, you're going through a, a big acquisition, major corporate uh, change, international firms involved. Um, If you could talk a little bit about that. And then how does that affect people? Because anytime there's an acquisition, people get anxious, they get nervous. Am I going to have a job? What's going to change? Who are these people taking over? It's Mm -hmm. probably one of the biggest changes that managers have for people. And yeah, I've been through it a couple of times. It's not always fun and it presents challenges. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Um, I think it, it goes back to, you know, the level of person that you're managing and the, the way you're managing, if it's either upstream or downstream, um, you know, we're going from basically having 41 to 4,500 locations uh, to merging and being acquired with another you know company that's going to have 9,500 locations. Um, so, but we're looking at it from a standpoint of it's more of a, a, a synergy play where the um, uh, the versions of the convenience store, the C store for 7-Eleven um, is uh, not gas related. Whereas with Speedway, it's more gas related, uh, a gas related play. So within the Midwest, within the Atlantic, within the West, uh, it's just a merging of synergies where you can offer, you know, uh, gas on top of the normal convenience store you know, opportunities. Uh, so there's not a lot of uh, dissent in the workplace about whether or not people are looking at, you know, losing their job, looking at, you know, opportunities to, to grow. It's more of, you know, what's going to happen to my 401k, what's going to happen to my days off, um, what's going to happen to my pension, because, you know, Marathon's one of the few parent companies that offers pension to, to Speedway. Um, and so people are more concerned about the, the ancillary benefits of um, the merger and acquisition versus, you know, what is the, 
the 10,000 foot view. So that's my people's concerns. Uh, when you go to manage up, upstream and you talk to people who are involved in the integration team for both seven and I, and for marathon, um, you know, they are talking about it. You know, we've, we meet each, we meet each month. Uh, we talk about, um, you know, what is going to happen from a technology standpoint, from a system standpoint. Um, I don't really foresee a lot of operational changes uh, because at the end of the day, you're still, you know, pumping gas, you're still looking for the best price, you're still catering to the, the customer on, on a convenience, on a convenience level. And so managing people, like I said, going back to, you know, blue collar, white collar, I think it just kind of depends on who you're talking to, and which way you're going up and down the stream of command. I want to switch gears here and talk a little bit about eventology because the events business, as our audience of marketers knows well, has been turned upside down. And you know, events can range from anything to a conversation like you and I are having right here to in previous years and probably in future years, large convention halls filled mm -hmm. with people. I think everybody is placing their bets and interested in what people who are interested in this space think about the future of events. So if you could go talk a little bit about eventology and where do you think events are going to end up? Um, so in my, my kind of first career out of grad school, um, I was an event producer in the music industry. So we did a lot of large scale fairs and festivals, uh, a lot of uh, casino dates, um, a lot of uh, corporate events. And the one thing I kind of realized when I you know, moved from just working in the events industry to teaching event management was there was this, this project management concept out there that wasn't really being fully utilized when you were planning events. Um, so using kind of uh, Joel Goldblatt's idea of, you know, researching the event, uh, really planning the event, coordinating the different phases of the event, um, making sure the design is correct, and then, you know, evaluating each step along the way, uh, kind of gave it a project management feel instead of it just being a, you know, we want to buy some talent to do uh, a corporate date to recognize our employees. So it was kind of diving more into the study of the event versus just the, the projecting of the event. Um, so that's kind of where eventology came from. Um, my thoughts on events are, you know, I feel like one day we'll all be vaccinated from COVID. We'll all have our little cards or our little stickers or we'll be microchipped or whatever, you know, and um, we will be able to go to events just like we were. And it's not going to be a, it's not going to be an issue uh, going forward. Um, but for right now, you know, I'm definitely enjoying taking part in CEO um, virtual events, whether they're networking, whether they're forums, uh, scheduling one-on-one -on -one calls with people for 20 or 30 minutes to really kind of dive into how I can help them. Um, you know, and then, but as far as large scale events, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of what we're doing right now, Mike, it's one-on-one -on -one kind of stuff. So. People have done some incredible things with virtual events and there are companies who let's face it, their business models were just flattened almost a year ago mm -hmm. and have really got, creative there are the tools zoom which we're using here is is mm -hmm. one of them but there are others of course as well so event platforms and just the internet the cloud it all kind of came together and i i think a lot about how devastating this would have been 20 years ago to a lot yeah. of those companies 15 years ago yeah and i mean like i'm introduced every day to new products within 
the entrepreneurial world that are event related. Uh, I was talking to um, a friend of mine who owns Remote Pro, uh, Scott Peterson. Uh, he um, is, you know, using vMix to do some virtual uh, meeting spaces to do some virtual music events. Um, it's amazing. Like you can, you can coordinate the lighting, you can coordinate the sound. Um, you can get, you know, one, two people in there, 20 people in there, 40 people in there. And it's like, everybody has their own little, their own little green room. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that it's, it's sort of, it's annual kickoff season for a lot of companies. They, a lot of companies do something in January or later in the year and chart their path through the year and get everybody excited and entertain them. And a lot of companies are still going to be able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Just, you know, in a different flavor than they did it a year ago um, for the companies who got it in before March last year. Uh, I mean, we haven't had, you know, we haven't had district meetings, region meetings like we have in the past. I mean, we haven't had, um, you know, corporate symposiums like we've had in the past due to COVID. I mean, it's really maybe not cut down on the uh, flow of communication because you can still get emails out, use Zipline, you use business planner to get information out. But what it's cut down on a lot has been the camaraderie and the rapport that people build with each other to kind of go back to our, you know, one question about, um, you know, managing people and, and how you manage people at different levels. Um, I mean, it's, you know, as we rotate people through into different job functions, I mean, you have to have that camaraderie and that rapport to really, you know, get ahead of the game sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that report we talked about, it's harder to get to know people if your tenure isn't that long, if mm-hmm. people come and go often, it's harder to get to know people if you just can't get together and relax with them and talk about maybe something other than business, you know, what yeah. else do you do in your spare time? And I think almost all of us had that opportunity, even if you just had it a couple times a year to be with your coworkers and managers and just figure out what makes them tick even outside the office. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, it's those unmeasurable things, right? That that should they come back, we're going to go, oh, yeah, I remember this. This is useful. This is important. Yeah. There's a question we ask everybody who's a guest on B2B Nation. What tool or tools that you do you use that you cannot work without? And that could be a brand name tool, a type of tool. We've even had people propose a tool that doesn't exist. But what is it that you use that you just wouldn't be able to function without. So a lot of times uh, in the operations world for us, um, you know, we have a, a customer ready worksheet or a, an ECE book that really, um, you know, allows us to highlight and have something tangible to look at for like, you know, day in and day out procedures. Uh, but we actually use a tech tool called Insight uh, and it is customized to the, uh, the retail world um, for, for uh, the convenience stores. And what it does is it allows you to really dig into your CRIs. Uh, It really allows you to, um, you know, do surveys uh, to look at items that you maybe would normally overlook uh, when you're in the operations world um, and really kind of dig into what is beyond the customer's eyes. Um, It also allows you to check, you know, safety ratings. It allows you to check uh, loss prevention, P&Ls, uh, but it's it's literally on the iPhone. It allows you to log in, see every operation, you know, broken down by store, broken down by district, by region, and really just kind of dive into uh, more of the than, than just the you know, more the meat and potatoes and just the glaze of what you see when you go in, into an operation. So, I feel like there's some sort of joke in there. People talk about data being the new oil, and mm-hmm. you work for a company that runs on oil, but it also runs on data. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I mean, and it's, it's everything from looking at it from a month snapshot to a year snapshot to a quarter snapshot. And it's, it allows you to really kind of, um, like I said, dig into what's really going on in the operation versus, uh, what you see when you just, you know, walk in the store front storefront for the first time and what doesn't matter what store it is. I mean, any one of the 4,100 stores, you're, you're kind of, kind of see what the customer sees, but then what do you really see if you dig into it? Data makes the world go round. James Shearer, thanks for taking the time to be on B2B Nation. Thank you. Thanks again to James Shearer for being our guest on this episode of B2B Nation. Thanks to my technology advice colleagues, Amy Dunn, Sarah Wingate, and Emily Whalen, who has booked us an incredibly thought-provoking quarter of conversations for the coming months. We hope you join us. And thanks to Mnemonics in the Guild for our amazing theme song. Here it is. 